Today, we're going to, um, last week we started the series on miracles, and we're going to continue on the same series, and today we're going to go a little deeper into our understanding of, uh, of the uh, way the kingdom of God functions and the way we can receive the supernatural or the miraculous power of God working in our lives and for our lives and also through our lives. Amen? Now, quick question. How many of you that are seated here, and even if you're watching this live, how many of you have ever experienced the healing power of God in your life? Raise your hands. You were sick, and you were healed by the power of God. All right, put your hands down. How many of you, you were in a bad financial situation, it was an emergency, or you needed help financially, and God supernaturally met your needs, financially speaking? If you've experienced that, raise your hands. All right. Uh, how many of you have seen the favor of God happen in your life. You know you don't deserve having that job. You know you don't have the certificates. You know you, 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 uh, you were not supposed to pass that exam. You know all of these things, and yet you passed the exam, and yet you got the job, and yet you married that girl, and all of those kinds of things. And so if you've experienced that kind of favor of God in your life, I want you to raise your hand. All right, okay, now put your hands down. So in, in just those three questions, I've almost seen, I think everyone raised your hand for one of those things, if not several of you, almost all of you raised your hand for all of those three things. Which means, even though we're talking about the miraculous power of God and we're talking about miracles, you've already experienced this. You've already, it's not like this has never been done before. This, this, these are, we're talking about things that you have already experienced. And so even as we go through this particular series, and, and I've said this on the first week, I said, I, w I really believe with all of my heart that this is a season of miracles for us as a church. And so... When I say that, you know, churches, I'm not talking to this building, I'm not talking about us as an organization, I'm talking to you individually, us as a church, that we need to experience the supernatural move of God in our lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with you coming with an expectation that says, God, this is the situation I'm dealing with, and I'm expecting a miracle in this situation, whether it be financial, uh, physical healing in your body, or maybe some relational thing that's happening in your family, uh, uh, there's chaos in the family or you need wisdom, whatever it is. And, and there's nothing wrong with you having that expectation and saying, God, this is where I need to see the supernatural happen in my life. I need the miraculous to take place in my life in this area. Nothing wrong with that. And I want you to come with that expectation. But there's another level to this. And that level is I also want you to have this expectation of saying, God, I want to be used of you to bring forth a miracle in the lives of someone else. All right? God, I want to see every single one of you that raised your hand that said, I had God heal me. I experienced the healing power of God. I experienced the provision of God. God used somebody, all right, to bring that to pass in your life. Whether it was through their teaching, it was through their laying on of hands, it was through an encouragement on the phone, whatever it is, God used somebody to make sure that miracle came to pass in your life. And so I don't want us to only be stuck in that level where we think we need to experience the miraculous in our life. And we ought to. But I also want you to come to another level where, where you say, not only do I want to experience the supernatural and the miraculous power of God working in my life, I want to be the vessel that God uses to bring that to pass in someone else's life as well. Amen. 
Now, there, there, I want us to know without a shadow of doubt, yeah, uh, you know, the, uh, some of you might have even listened to sermons and, and discussions where there are Christians who believe that God does not do the supernatural in, in, in the world today. There are people that there are Christians who believe that the miraculous happened when Jesus was alive and he performed miracles, but he doesn't do those things today. And in certain, uh, in certain places, uh, that, that kind of, those kinds of messages are even preached. And, but I want us to know, we as a church, we absolutely, without a shadow of doubt, believe that God is a God of the miraculous, not just yesterday, but he is of the miraculous even today. Amen? And so I want you to have faith for that. I want you to start believing God for that. Build your faith for that so that we experience the supernatural uh, uh, power of God in our lives. Amen. Now, in order for you to experience the miraculous, in order for you to experience something that you have not experienced before, you've got to believe certain things that you did not believe before. Okay. In order for you to experience something that you've not experienced before, you've got to believe certain things that you did not believe before. There has to be the renewal of the mind. There has to be revelation knowledge that comes into our lives, that comes into our heart. The word of God needs to bring light to our lives. And when the word brings the light, then we get uh, uh, the opportunity to walk into the supernatural. Now, turn with me uh, to the book of Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And even as you're turning there, last week we looked at Mark chapter 9, and in that story we see the father bringing this, uh, his son to the, the disciples of Jesus, and, and this uh, uh, son was possessed, and, and, and he would uh, uh, throw himself into the fire, throw himself into the water, and, and he would have these convulsions, and so the, the father brings uh, uh, the son to Jesus' disciples, hoping that they would deliver the child from the problem that he's suffering. And then we also know that he brings him to Jesus because the Bible says that they could not heal the boy. Now, the only thing, now in that particular story, I don't, for, for lack of time, I don't want us to go there again, but you see Jesus getting a little ticked off. You see Jesus getting a little frustrated. Now, he's not frustrated that the devil has, uh, or, or, or what the enemy did to the child. That's not what frustrates Jesus. I mean, he is the devil. That's what he's supposed to do. Right? And so he's only doing what he's supposed to do. So that's not what is frustrating Jesus. Jesus is not even frustrated at the, at the, at the fact that, the, that, the, that this father has come in and now is, is talking, uh, uh, you know, or, or disturbing his, his timetable or his schedule for the day. Jesus is not bothered about that. Now, what bothers Jesus, what ticks him off, what, what irritates him that day is he says, Oh, faithless generation. So what, what really frustrates him, what irritates him that day is that, the, that he was surrounded by people who were supposed to believe by then but were not believing. He was, he was dealing with a group of people that were supposed to walk in faith by this time and, and supposed to walk in a level with, that would cast the spirit out of this young boy but they could not do that, what, what, could not do what was supposed to do. Right? And so he doesn't go off into a philosophical uh, uh, um, uh, discussion of why those things were taking place. He simply deals with one issue, and that is 
faith. He deals with faith and he says, this is the reason because of your faithlessness, you were not able to see the miraculous come to pass in this particular situation. All right. Now with that understanding, with that foundation laid, come to Matthew chapter 13 and I'll start reading from verse 10. Matthew chapter 13 and starting from verse 10. And it says, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in Parables. We know from the life of Jesus that every single time he preached, he preached through parables. Parables were not something that would completely and very easily explain the truth that Jesus was necessarily talking about. And so the disciples were wondering, you know, you, you speak such great truths, and, but why do you speak through parables? You know, because it confuses some people. And so Jesus replies in verse 11, and he says, He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have uh, have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, I want us to just pause there and we'll get back to the scripture. But so the, the, the question is, why do you speak in parables? And so now Jesus is talking and he says in verse 11 again, he says, because it has been given to you. Now, who is, he, who is Jesus talking to right there? Come on, who is he talking to? It's not a trick question, okay? It's, it's a simple story, right? Jesus, uh, disciples come and ask Jesus a question. He's talking to them, so he says you, so which means he's talking to the disciples. Now, who were the disciples? The disciples were a bunch of uh, uh, young men who believed in Jesus, right? That's why when, when he said, you know, uh, 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 leave all that you've got, follow me, they left all that they had and followed him. So obviously, these were not people that were casual about their uh, uh, interaction with Jesus. They were serious. They left everything and immediately followed him. So they believed in Jesus. In other words, you can say he is talking to believers, right? He's talking to people that believe about the fact of who Jesus is. And so in other words, he's talking to people like you and me who believe in Jesus. And he says, to you, it has been, uh, uh, sorry, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, depending on the translation that you're reading, some of your Bibles will say, instead of mysteries, it will use the word secrets. Some of your other Bibles will use hidden truths. So think about this. Jesus is saying to you and to me, there's an ability that you have that others don't have. Something has been given to you that has not been given to everyone in this world. So he says, it has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It has been given to you to know the hidden treasures or secrets of the kingdom of God. And he says, but to them it has not been, uh, where is that? But to them it has not been given. Now, when Jesus said it has been given to you, then you take that by faith. That means every single one of us that believe in Jesus, you now have the ability to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That means every time Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke in hidden language. 
Not everything that he, and that's why sometimes the miraculous is tough for some people to digest because as long as you simply read this book as a textbook, if you read this book just simply as a history book and you think, okay, I read this chapter, I know everything there is to know in this chapter, that's where you miss the point. Because to everything that Jesus spoke, there are levels to it. So just because you think you understood the first level does not mean you've exhausted everything that Jesus wants you to get out of what he said. And so, but, but, but the good news is, for those that believe in Jesus, he said, it has been given to you to know the mysteries. That means even when it comes to the supernatural, even when it comes to the miraculous, it has been given to us to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, how do we know these things? The key, that, and, and here's the important thing, the key is you access the hidden truths or the secrets by faith. You access these hidden truths of the kingdom, you access these secrets of the kingdom by faith. You don't access them by simply coming to church and going home. You don't access them by simply go enrolling yourself in a Bible course or a Bible college or Bible school and think, okay, now I'm going to know the secrets of the kingdom. No, no, no. That's not how you're going to know. You can go through four or five years of Bible college and yet not scratch the surface of knowing the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Because it does not come just by discipline alone, but it comes through faith. Everyone say faith. faith. Now, when Jesus said, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, from that point on, our standpoint, our belief system, the way we think about the kingdom, the way we think about the miraculous has to be, I know how the kingdom of God functions. See, a lot of Christians will say, you know, God is a mystery. You know, people will say the will of God is such a mysterious thing. Nobody knows the mind of God. Nobody knows the heart of God. Nobody knows how, why things happen. No, that's, that, that, that's, when you say that, you're either, from the God's perspective, you're lying. Why? Because anything that you, that is, that anything that comes out of your mouth that does not conform or agree with what God has said is a lie. Because what he says is the truth. And if you say anything opposing to him, that means you are lying and what Jesus says is to you it has been given and for you to open your mouth and say no I don't understand how the kingdom of God functions I don't understand how the miraculous takes place I don't understand how things happen that is a wrong statement to make are you understanding that so what I want you to understand is this means that you start from a place of understanding and therefore you will understand I'll repeat that You've got to get this. This is crucial and this is key. You start from a place of understanding and therefore you will understand. That's walking by faith. Now what's, what does the normal human say? I will wait till I understand and then I will say I understand. Not so with the kingdom. The kingdom is, before my mind understands it, in the spirit I say I understand, my mind has to follow what my spirit has to say. 
But when you, when you do the opposite, when you let your mind, your soul become the person that is in the driver's seat, you're, you're always going to move in the wrong direction. Because your mind is always going to say, wait, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what Jesus is saying. I, these, these are mysteries that I don't understand. Then you keep saying you don't understand and therefore you will not understand. You getting this? You keep saying you don't understand and therefore you will not understand. We, we, we saw this in the last series that we did. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So you believe you don't understand and therefore you don't understand. But if you come to the place where you say, wait a minute, okay, that, that's, that's with my soul, that's with my mind, that's with my intellect that I'm saying that. But the word of God says, to me it has been given. So this is not something I will get one day. This has already been given to me, and because it's already been given to me, no matter how much of education I have or don't have, I don't care about that. No matter what kind of family I come from or don't come from, I don't care about that. No matter what kind of religious background I come from or don't come from, I don't care about that. All I care about right now is what Jesus said. And he said, the mysteries have been given to me. That means I possess the ability to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, because I understand that I possess, I declare that out of my mouth. Now what happens? What are you doing? Even though you are not understanding it in the intellect right now, you are moving by the spirit and by the truth of the word of God. Are you getting it? And therefore you say, I understand the mysteries. I understand how God heals. I understand how God delivers. I understand how God speaks. I understand the wisdom of God. I understand the heart of God, the mind of God. I understand, not because you're smart, but simply because he said so. Not because you're smart, not because you went to college, not because you're born in the right family. No, no, no. None of those things matter. You simply believe you understand those things simply because he said you do. Now when you start from that foundation, all the understanding that you will ever need comes into your life. All the mysteries that need to open to your life begin to open for your life. But if you do the very opposite of that, you will always, again, you will be a Christian, you will come to church, you will spend some time in prayer, you will go to the Bible study, you will do all of these things, but you're standing on the wrong foundation. You're standing on the foundation that says God is out there, he is too mysterious, he is too great, and I can never get to him. Wrong foundation. The other foundation Yes, God is absolutely awesome. Yes, God is absolutely enormous. Yes, God is out there somewhere in the heavenlies. He, he created these worlds into existence. I don't understand. My, my peanut-sized brain does not understand any of that. But at the same time, his word says, I have, it has been given to me to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So I have access to the throne of God. I have access to the mind of God. I have access to the very heart of God. And because of that, now you stand and you from a different foundation altogether. And therefore, even when you pray, you're expecting to receive and understand the heart of God. You're expecting to understand the mind of God and walk in the ways that he wants us to walk in. Amen? Amen. So in verse 12... Um, Let's see. Okay, verse 12, he says, for whoever has to him. Now, when he says for whoever has, has what? Has this understanding. 
right? So he says, for whoever has uh, uh, to him, what will be given? More will be given. More will be. This is one of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. See, in the way we think, oh, wait a minute, he has too much. Oh, the, uh, uh, this other person has very little, so let's give to the person that has very little. And Jesus says, no, 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 what happens to the one that has little? But whoever does not have even what he has, which means the, the little that he has, what will happen to it? It will be taken away from him. Jesus says the same thing about the, 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 in the parable of the talents when it comes to finances and when it comes to money. See, in, in our thinking, we think, okay, uh, person A has a lot of money. They, they, you know, they, they're, they're able to take care of all of their needs. Person B is struggling, and so therefore, some of the money from person A has to be given to person B. Not so in the kingdom of God. Jesus says the very opposite. He says, this guy has a lot of money. Let's give him some more. This guy doesn't have enough money, even the little that he has, take it away. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, Jesus is not, it, it, the way he measures faithfulness is very different. Now, that does not mean we don't give charity. That does not mean we don't take care of the poor. That does not mean we don't take care of the orphan, the widow, and all of that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is how you manage and steward what God has given to you. That's what he's talking about. So whether it is with finances or whether it is with this ability to know the mysteries of the kingdom. See, even though every child of God has been given the ability, if you constantly keep saying, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of time. Guess what's going to happen? The little understanding that you do have will be taken away from you. All right? Now, let's continue. Uh, um, um, has this understanding of truth. Okay. Um, and, okay. Be before it is taken away from him, verse 12, it says, For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. Look at that. In your understanding of the mysteries of God comes your abundance for life. Financial abundance, material abundance, spiritual abundance, emotional abundance, wisdom, knowledge, strength, might, honor, everything, the grace of God, the faith of God working in your life, everything increases because of your understanding. But you increase in your understanding in the first place because you believe that you have understanding. You start off with faith and then you keep building on that, all right? Verse 13, it says, Therefore I speak to whom, uh, sorry, to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Now, so that's very simple to understand. So you, it's talking about the people that are coming to the church, but they, they're hearing, but they're not perceiving the truths of the word of God. They're seeing, but they don't perceive the, the truths regarding what God wants them to see, and they don't understand with their heart. Now, then it goes on to say, lest they should see with their eyes. Right? The King James said, says, lest at any time they should see. 
at any time. Now, so on one side, God is saying, okay, there are a group of people, they're coming, but they're not seeing what I want them to see. They're not hearing what I want them to hear. They're not understanding what, what I want them to understand. Then, but then he says, but less at any time. In other words, okay, forget that word lest. We don't use that word, okay? But uh, 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 in other words, what he's saying is, but, but at any time. In other words, everything that I've just said, all of that will not matter if at any time the people that he's talking about, but if at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So what's happening? God is talking about the miraculous. God is saying there's healing that needs to happen. In this case, he's talking about the nation of Israel, and he's talking about the healing that he needs to bring to that nation. And so what he's saying is, they're not seeing what I want them to see. They're not hearing what I want them to hear. They're not understanding what I want them to understand. But at any time, at any time, if they see with their eyes, if they hear with their ears, if they understand with their hearts, he says, I should heal them. Now, even though he says I should heal them, replace that with whatever you want to happen in your life. Lest I should provide for them. Lest I should promote them. Lest I should heal them. So whatever it is, what, what, what we are talking about is, I just don't want to narrow down to healing. I want you to understand that, that the heart of God regarding this matter is, the moment people see what I want them to see, they hear what I want them to hear, they understand with their hearts what I want them to understand. In that very moment, I should do what the very thing that they want me to do. I should. Should is different from would. When you say, I should go to some place, I should do this work. When you say, I should go to office, there is an emphasis on that word. There, there's, there's pressure. You've got to do this. Right? And God says, in the moment that people will see, hear, and understand, I should do it. A lot of people, Christians included, who believe in the supernatural, believe in the miraculous, they oftentimes, I hear people say things like, I am waiting on God to do something. Waiting on God to heal. Waiting on God to deliver. Waiting on God to promote. Waiting on God. Waiting on God. Waiting on God. Now, I understand that the Bible does talk about waiting on God, but... 99.9% .9 of the time, the things that we say we're waiting on God for, we shouldn't be waiting on God. In fact, God is waiting on us. It's very few situations where you have to wait on God. For example, if you're trying to make a decision that's going to change the course of your life, you know, so you're deciding who to marry. You're deciding which job to take. You're deciding which uh, uh, degree to, uh, uh, to pursue. You're deciding which country to move to. Though, like life-altering decisions, yes, they're not clearly written in verse and scripture, and therefore you have to wait on God or the wisdom of God before you make a decision, right? That I understand. But 99.9% .9 of the people are not necessarily waiting on those things.
99.9% people, uh, of people are waiting on things that God has taken care of on the cross of Calvary. In other words, they're waiting for God to heal them, deliver them, restore them, provide for them. Those are the areas most people are praying about. For those things, you don't have to wait on God. Because everything that God needed to do for those things to happen in your life, He has already done. Amen. For example, if you have a loved one that, that, that is unsaved, they don't believe in, in Christ Jesus. And, and, and we don't say we're waiting on God to save that person even though the person wants to be saved. That's not the case. Right? Everything that God needed to do for that person to be saved, he did it when? 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. So the moment your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, whoever it is, decides when they see Jesus differently, when they hear his words differently, and when they understand about him with their heart differently, what happens? In that very moment, John 3.16 becomes a reality in their life. In that moment. They didn't have to wait on God. All they needed to do was believe, pray, it's done. No waiting on God. Why did you not have to wait on God for your salvation? Because simple answer is everything that he needed to do, he already did. So how can we say we're waiting on God to heal us? What, what, are we expecting God to have a brand new stripe on his back for your disease? That's not happening. There's not going to be any more lashes that Jesus is going to take up for anybody. Every lash, every disease, known and unknown, has been taken care of on the cross. Every single one. Your provision. There's nothing. Jesus is not going to take upon a new curse of poverty upon him. It's been taken on the cross. So your provision comes because of that. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, all of these things have been taken care of on the cross. So we're not waiting on God to do it. In fact, God is waiting on us to step out in faith and receive those things. Yeah. Think about this. Turn with me to John chapter 2 very quickly. John chapter 2. And um, let's see, let's see if I find it. Um, all right. John chapter 2 and, and verse, starting from verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in the, in, uh, of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and the disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the, they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Verse 4. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now think about this. This is a time in the life of Jesus where he did not yet start his ministry, right? Or start moving in the miraculous, all right? And so he did not start moving in the miraculous yet. And so this is the first miracle in the life of Jesus. And so when he comes on the scene and when the mother of Jesus, Mary, finds out they ran out of wine, they come, he, she comes to Jesus and she tells him, hey, they ran out of wine. And as a result of that, uh, uh, um, Jesus says, this is not our wedding. Our family is not organizing this. This is not our problem. All right? We eat. We get done. We wash our hands. We go home. Not our problem. What does this have to do with me, woman? Now, just like any good mother does, sometimes mother know, uh, uh, a lot of times moms know the best about their kids, and so she does not even bother talking to him again. All right? She doesn't even talk to him. So instead of talking to him, she talks to the people that need to follow the instructions. 
So verse 5, it simply says, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, up to this point, Jesus has not even done a miracle. See, but the Bible says that Mary carried these things concerning Jesus in her heart. So from the time Jesus was uh, 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 um, formed in her in, in the womb, from that very moment, the Bible says, the prophecies and the things that were concerning Jesus, she carried them on the inside of her. She was not just carrying the body of Jesus in the womb. She was carrying the promises of God with her. So for nearly three decades, she's been meditating on these promises. She's been thinking about these promises. So she saw certain things that others have not seen. She heard certain things that others have not heard. She understood certain things others did not understand. And so her boy says, what does this have to do with me? She says, I don't even want to have this discussion. Servants, whatever he says, do it. And she walks away. And guess what happens? He gives them instructions. They follow the instructions. All of you know the story, what happens. He tells them to pour water into those uh, containers. And by the time they are get poured out to the guests, it becomes the best wine of the wedding. All right? Now, understand this. Look at what he said in verse 4. My hour has not yet come. Now, Jesus knew why he was born. Jesus knew exactly what he needed to do by this time. And so he says, my hour, or in other words, my time has not yet come, which means he knew my time is going to come. If he said it has not yet come, the train has not yet come, meaning the train is going to come. He says, my time has not yet come, meaning his time is going to come. And so now that timing was not going to be decided by him. He was going to be informed of the timing by the Father. So he's waiting on the Father to reveal the time. So think, get, I want you to get the magnitude of this truth. Jesus says his time has not yet come to perform the miracle. But the mother says, whatever he says, do it because she heard, because she saw, because she understood she gives the instruction, whatever instru her instruction is, whatever instruction you get, you better do it. And they do it, and Jesus, out of time, performs the miraculous. Out of time. Out of his timing from the Father. The reason why I'm pointing out that is for a Christian, for 99.9% .9 of things, the excuse of saying, I'm waiting on God's timing, no longer stands. Don't use that as an excuse for every single thing in your life. Now, for some of you, you are waiting on the timing of God regarding certain issues of your life. I'm not talking about that. I think you're all clear about that. Right? I talked about that. So that's not what I'm saying. For most of you that are believing for healing, deliverance, and those kinds of things, you're not the one waiting on God. 
God is the one waiting on you. Because he says, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and I should heal them. Go back to Matthew and uh, uh, verse 16. He says, but blessed are your eyes. See, he just talked about the prophecy. He talked about the people out there. He says, at any time if they see, at any time if they hear, at any time if they understand, I should heal them. Now he's talk, he talked about them. Now he's talking again about the disciples or the believers. Now what does he say? He says, but blessed are your eyes. Why? For they see. And your ears are what? They are blessed. Why? Because they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You and I in the New Testament have the awesome privilege that people, the greatest men and women of the old did not even have. The things that they did not, could not even see, the things they could not hear. They had a desire, but it was not their time to do so. And because of the new covenant and the understanding that God has placed within our hearts, he says, you are blessed, not because you've prayed. You are blessed, not because you've read the word. He says, you are blessed because I have given you the ability to know the mysteries, which means I've given you the ability to see things other people don't see. I've given you the ability to hear things other people don't hear. I've given you the ability to understand things that other people don't understand. When we get that into our hearts, when we truly understand that, and when we truly receive that truth by faith, we begin to walk in the supernatural like never before. Turn with me very quickly. Uh, uh, for example, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. A lot of, you know, I've read about this uh, uh, verse a lot of times and we've talked about this. It says, for his divine power has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Now, simply said, that in the New Covenant, the Bible is saying that everything that pertains to your life and uh, godliness has already been given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, even though the Bible says that, not every Christian experiences the reality of this verse. And when we don't experience the reality of scriptures like this, many Christians default to the notion of, well, I don't understand the will of God. Maybe it's not God's will for my life to receive this blessing or that blessing or be healed or whatever it is. And we simply put it in that shelf. And I want to submit to you that the degree to which you experience this verse in your life is the degree to which you understand this verse in your life. For example, John 3.16. Pretty much almost every single one in here knows John 3.16. Okay, if you were born in a Christian family, especially, and you went to Sunday school and you went to VBS and you sang the Christian songs and all of that, you knew John 3.16 from the time you started walking. You, John 3.16 was probably plastered on your walls. You, you probably colored some uh, coloring paper with John 3.16. Now, because you did all of those things does not mean you experienced or walked in the reality of John 3.16. When did you actually walk in the reality of John 3.16? The day you saw Jesus, 
heard Jesus' words like never before and understood with your heart about Jesus like never before. That was the day in which John 3.16 became reality in your life. Until that point, John 3.16 was simply a bunch of letters put together. No difference between John 3.16 and the newspaper. No difference between John 3.16 and a storybook. No difference between John 3.16 coloring paper and, and, and your uh, favorite cartoon coloring paper. No difference. But when does it become reality? When you saw something that you didn't see before. You saw Jesus in a new way. And I don't mean his, his, uh, his poster or his picture on Facebook or something like that. You saw Jesus for who he truly is. Not some painting on the wall. You heard his words like never before. And you heard and you perceived certain things. And then you understood with your heart who Jesus is. Not just because what your mother or Sunday school teacher said about who Jesus is. You perceived with your heart who he is and you understood with your heart. That is the day John 3.16 became a reality experientially in your life. The same is true with 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. The same is true with any other verse in the Bible. Any other New Testament promise in the word of God. It becomes a reality in your life when you understand with your heart. When you perceive things that you have not perceived before. And so that's the reason why. Again, you, when you see things that the word of God wants you to see with eyes of faith. When you hear things the word of God wants you to hear with, uh, with uh, 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 ears of faith. And you understand with your heart by faith the things and the mysteries of God. You walk into the miraculous like never before. When you understood, when you perceived with your heart properly who Jesus was, the greatest miracle in your life came to pass. You became a born again child of the Most High God. The greatest miracle that the world has ever known. A new creature that never existed before was birthed into reality. Simply because you understood with your heart. Are you understanding that? And so it's the same principle that will usher us into the supernatural and the miraculous like never before as well. It is no longer a mysterious thing. We understand and therefore we walk into that. Amen? Very quickly, I'll give you a couple of scriptures for you to meditate on during this week. Uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, please. Proverbs chapter 1. And starting from verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. So why was the entire book of Proverbs given? For us to know wisdom and instruction and to perceive the words of understanding. That's the reason why it was put together. Uh, uh, Proverbs 3.19 the world, uh, sorry, the, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By understanding, he established the heavens. Proverbs 24 and verse 3 says, Through wisdom a house is built, but by understanding it is established. Through wisdom a house is built, but through understanding it is established. You can build something, but if it is not established the way it is supposed to be, it's going to come down. It's going to come down. So understanding. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse... Uh, um, let's just jump down to verse uh, uh, 7. 4 and 7. It says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. 
and in all you're getting, get understanding. Get understanding. You see, the greater our understanding, the greater level at which God will begin to use you for in the miraculous for His glory. I'll repeat that. The greater our understanding, the, great, the greater level at which God will begin to use us in the miraculous for His glory. See, God's, you know, God is a God of infinite wisdom. But... He can only relate to us based on our finite understanding. I'll say that again. God is a God of infinite wisdom, but He can only relate to us based on our finite understanding. I mean, we do this every day in our life. You know, if you have kids or if you have other children in your family, and your nephews or niece and whatever, um, if they come running to you and, and they're uh, small kids and they need help with their homework or whatever, and if they're learning numbers and you might know algebra, you might know multiplication and division, but you don't talk to them in that way, what do you do? Even though you know certain things, you come down to their level and you start talking with them. And then you start talking about one and then two and then three and then four. You can't talk about addition yet. You can't talk about subtraction and multiplication. Why? Even though you know you can only relate to them in maths according to their understanding. So same thing. God is a God of infinite wisdom, but He relates to us with our understanding. And therefore, as we go through this series, I want us to become people that pursue understanding along with the wisdom of God. I want us to be established in understanding how God functions, how God thinks, how God uh, operates. And therefore, we can imitate Him as little children. The Bible says, as He is, so are we in this world. And we need understanding to walk in the ways that He wants us to walk in. See, understanding puts you in a place of confidence. When you understand how certain things are done, you're confident. But when you don't understand how certain things are done, you're not confident. See, for a Christian, our level of understanding has to be at a place by faith where we are, where, where we can predict our lives. I said this in the early service that, 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 that as a Christian, your life should be very predictable for you, but it should be very unpredictable for your unbelieving friends. It should be very predictable for you. Jesus knew exactly what would happen in his life. He said, hey, I'm going to the cross. I'll die a brutal death. But three days later, I'm coming back up. Very predictable. Does not mean no challenges. But when you go through challenges, you're, it's very predictable, the outcome of that challenge. Well, I'm going through this race, but yeah, I'm going to win the race. Yeah, I'm going into this boxing match, but I'm going to win the boxing match. I'm going to play this game, but I'm going to win this game. A predictable life. Why? Not because of your intellect, not because of what you know, but because of what the Word of God says, and you're growing in the understanding of what the Word of God says. And so no matter what you go through, your response is not based on the situation. Your response is not based on anything else other than what the Word of God says confidence to walk in the miraculous, confidence to walk in the ways of God. 
So when you begin to understand, it also not only gives you confidence, it also helps you to live the life that God has called you to live rather than just living a religious life. You know, for, I'll say this and I'll close with this. For example, when it comes to tithes and offerings, a lot of people, Christians, they give, but the foundation from which they give into the church is that of charity. We, we often use the word donation. So most Christians uh, uh, um, live by the statement, when I have, I give. When I don't have, I don't give. When I have, I give. When I don't have, I don't give. And we think that's normal. We think, yeah, that makes sense, Pastor. When somebody has, they'll give. When somebody doesn't have, they don't give. It makes sense to the flesh. It makes sense to this world. It doesn't make sense to God. The mystery of the kingdom of God is he wants you to give when you don't have. He wants you to give when you don't have. Why? Not because he wants to take away the little that you have, but he knows that the only way you're going to get more is by giving the little that you do have. Why is that important? Why is that necessary? Because that's the only way you're walking by faith. When you give when you have and don't give when you don't have, no faith required to do that. Where's faith in that? There's, there's zero trust in God to do that. Zero faith required. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says that anything done without faith is a sin. And so for us to say, okay, I take care of all of my expenses. And if anything remains, then yes, I will put it in the offering. Uh-uh. Wrong way of thinking. You don't have the right understanding. You need to see certain things that you've not seen before. You need to hear certain things that you've not heard before. And you need to understand certain things that you've not understood before. Because when you do, you're confident. And because you have confidence. Now, even when you have little, you come before God and you say, God, here's what I've got. But even though this is not enough for me, I know that you can multiply the seed that I'm sowing into your kingdom. So I believe in your word and therefore I sow into your kingdom by faith. And I declare that all my needs are met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That requires faith. Giving when you have, not giving when you don't have, no faith required. Amen. And so when we begin to understand, then the miraculous, the, the door for the miraculous opens wider and wider and wider based on the understanding that we have. Okay, last thing, and I'll, I promise I'll close with this. Last thing. Remember when Peter goes to Jesus and says, we're in a problem, need to pay taxes, no money. Now, if Jesus would have given an explanation like, okay, next three days, cancel our meetings. Uh, next three days, contact your business partners uh, or, or just find a part-time job for the next three days or four days. Uh, uh, work really hard, Peter. Make some money. And uh, once we have enough money, we'll pay the taxes and we'll move on to the next town. Good, 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 good idea. Good idea. Yeah, we get a job, we get the money, and we pay the taxes. Only Jesus doesn't say that. The explanation that I gave makes great sense. But the problem with Jesus is he hardly makes any sense. He makes a lot of faith. Okay? And so, so he comes and, and, and he hears Peter say, no money, we've got to pay taxes. Jesus comes up with a brilliant idea. Go fishing, Peter. 
Okay, once you go fishing, the first fish that you catch, you'll find the money for the taxes. Now, here's what I believe. You don't have to believe this. I'm just saying this is what I believe. I believe Peter caught more than one fish that day. I believe that Peter used the first coin out of the first fish for the taxes and everything went to Peter. And I believe Peter made some money that day. Why would you believe that, Pastor? Well, here, not because it's written in the Bible. I believe that because from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, I've never seen God just do what is enough. I've always and only seen God do what is more than enough. I've always seen God bless in abundance to the full till it overflows. That's the kind of God that I see over and over and over again. So why would God change that only for this one instance? That's why I believe Jesus clearly said the first fish. The first one. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He knew how to catch fish. So that's what he did. So what I believe is, first one, taxes. Second one, third one, fourth one, fifth one. Where does that go in? Anywhere Peter decides it. He's always a God of the overflow. So what did Peter learn that day? That day Peter understood, wait a minute, when I need some finances, the job is not the only source. When I need finances, my uh, going and running to the bank or to a friend or to a neighbor to get a loan is not the only source. Now he understood, wait a minute, so even for finances, I can believe God for the miraculous. And now because of that, now the door opens wider for Peter. Because by this time, he's seen the lame walk. He's seen the deaf ears receive hearing. So he's seen the healing power of God. So he's seen bodies being healed, but he's not seen provision. Now the door just opened a little wider. And so now he says, wait a minute. So God does not only heal sick bodies, he provides. He provides supernaturally. So why is that important? The more we understand, the more we see, the more we hear, the more we understand. The door to the miraculous opens wider and wider and wider and wider and it keeps opening wider as much as we want it to. Amen? So during this season, I really want you to have your hearts in tune with this. During the week, listen to this message over and over again and if, if you need to. Build up your faith. Unless you hear things that you have not heard before, you're not going to see things you've not seen before. You're not going to understand things that you've not understood before. If this is simply a one-time thing, oh, those are pretty good points and you go back to your normal life, mm -mm. things will not be established in your heart. Let these truths be established and together as a church, I want us to experience the supernatural in our lives. Amen? Amen.